Well, my name is Matt, and I'm on staff here at Calvary. We've uh, been here, my wife and I, for about three months now. I serve as the leadership and discipleship pastor here. Uh, we are relaunching our ministry training program here at Calvary, and um, a part of that will be leading the program. And so it is such a joy and pleasure to be with you. I've met many of you, but if we've not personally met, maybe after service, snag me in the lobby. I would love to have a, uh, a handshake and connect a face with a name. But it's such a pleasure to be with you today as we wrap up our Not So Scary Things series. And we're going to be diving into the Word today. Um, Exodus chapter 3 is going to be our primary text, and the notes this morning are found on the back of your bulletins. If you want to pull those out, it may be easy for you to follow along with us. But about eight or nine years ago, I was serving as a youth pastor in South Florida, and uh, we were having a big convention trip where we needed to take about 40 teenagers, uh, drive about four hours to actually here in Orlando for a conference. And uh, the church had this old rickety school bus that, um, you know, the, the pastor's like, yeah, you guys are going to take that. And I'm looking at it like, a little dubiously. I'm like, mm, are we though? And so, um, pastor, I'd really appreciate it if we can take this old bus to the mechanic just to get it checked out. And uh, it would just, it would really set my heart at ease. And so uh, we took the bus to the mechanic and uh, man, this thing is, you know, kind of limping into the shop. And so uh, I'm, I'm by no means, I'm not a prophet or anything, but I, I don't think it took a prophetic gifting to realize that this probably wasn't the best situation. And so mechanic does kind of a once over, does a little tune up on, on the big bus and um, he says, no, you're good to go. And so, okay. Let's go, kids. <laughs> so I had a few adult leaders with me, and we pile 40, um, 40 students into this bus, and we're on the turnpike headed to Orlando from South Florida. And we are, I think, we've just, we had just passed the Port St. Lucie exit. So maybe about halfway, maybe we were by Yeehaw Junction. I, I can't remember exactly, but all of a sudden, it was like the floodgates opened up and suddenly black smoke and it starts to just come out of the engine. And this was one of the old school buses that didn't have the front. It was the flat face. You know what I'm talking about? And so the way to access the engine, if you know anything about mechanic, I don't know, automobiles, mechanics, you have to access it from the inside of the cabin. So where do you think the smoke is coming out of? The inside of the cabin, all of my kids are coughing, and it literally looks like we are on fire. But we're halfway. It's not like it would be an easy 20-minute trip back to the church. And so we pull over, and um, essentially, I'm not mechanically inclined, but what I, my understanding is that one of the pistons got some oil into it. And so then as it's doing its thing, it's causing all the smoke to come out. Bottom line... I'm told that I have to go and buy, uh, it was, I don't know, I want to say 100 gallons of oil. And every 40 miles, I had to put X amount of this oil in. And so I, I, we, we were halfway on the turnpike, and it was one of those things where, well, we're halfway. I have to find a mechanic anyway. 
kids, all the windows down, let's go. At least we can get a little bit of Jesus if we have to endure the smoke anyway. And so we literally limp into the hotel convention center. Everyone's staring at us as we're, kids are outside trying to breathe, okay? Heads out the window. It was the most like undignified entrance. And um, we made it, everyone survived. But I remember that moment of thinking back when they said, oh, you're good. Oh, you should be okay. And I'm thinking, hmm. I have some doubts. I'm not a mechanic, but, but I do have eyes, and I can see this thing. Like I see the situation playing out in a way that's not necessarily going to go in my favor. And so there were some real doubts in my mind, and so I trust the mechanic, I trust the pastor, and I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. But my doubts were right. That's the thing, though, right? Everyone has doubts. Everyone has doubts about life. We have doubts about relationships. We have doubts about uh, where we are at this point in our life, at our age, you know, having crossed this number of thresholds. We have doubts about our situations, our relationships, our finances. Everyone doubts. We have doubts about our faith. Or maybe just me. Am I in such a room with the esteemed saints that you have no doubts about your faith? And that we would do well, we would be healthy and mature to recognize that doubts are a normal part of life. That regardless of your gender, your race, your income, your education, your political views, everyone will suffer through doubts. It's a shared human experience. And ultimately, this series, this not-so-scary thing series that we've been walking through uh, five weeks previous to today, we focused on some things that may initially appear big and bad. They may initially appear like something that we should be frightened of. But upon further inspection, these things really fall short in impacting us beyond what we allow them to and what we give them space in our lives. The reality is that there are things in this world that can and do cause fear. Again, it's a reality of our humanity. But we have got to decide what type of Christ followers we'll choose to be in those moments. What type of people will we be in the face of these challenges do we allow the presence of doubt to destroy our faith or deepen our faith? Do we succumb to the pressures within us and outside of us and forego faith? Or in those moments when everything seems to be crowding around us, everything seems to be hitting the wall, everything seems to be going the other way than we want them to go, do we allow those moments to get the best of us or do we cling to Christ because we know that despite the pressures of this world, it's his presence that will guide us? Christian, I don't think you're less holy if you have doubts. I think you're just a person. And it's the recognition of that that is um, freeing for our souls. Lord, I come to you such as I am, imperfect and flawed in many ways. 
But Lord, I know that it's not um, because of my uh, supposed perfection that you love me. It's not because of, of my, uh, in, you know, my, the lack of flaws in my life that you're there for me. But it's because you love me regardless of how I am. You love me for just being me. You love me despite my flaws, despite my imperfections, despite the fact that I stumble. Lord, you look past those things and you see me as your child. Amen. And it's in those moments that we can voice what's going on inside of us. God, I'm really doubting in this area right now. I'm really struggling with this. I'm wrestling with this in a real way. So God, rather than just trying to shove it to the side, how can I give it over to you in a healthy and a mature way so that I grow through this process? So I don't come out on the other end, and God forbid we ever come through a challenge and never having grown in the midst of it, because what was the point of the challenge and the struggle to begin with? But if I'm going to go through this, I may as well have grown at the end of it. I might as well have developed a little bit of strength. And so today we are going to look at Moses, because he provides for us a fascinating glimpse at someone who is able to do great things for the Lord and his people, and yet demonstrates for us, all these thousands of years later, demonstrates for us the real struggle that doubt can sometimes deliver. We find Moses in Exodus 3 uh, in a famous passage. He's discovered a burning bush. Oh, that's odd. Let me check that out. And in Exodus 3.10, God says to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I'm sure if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard this passage preached on. If you've been in Sunday school, this is an often covered piece of text. And yet I believe that this morning, despite your familiarity with the passage, we can look at it with fresh eyes and still hear the voice of the Spirit speak to our specific context today. That we can hear and glean from His voice what we need as we struggle through our current challenges. So church, are you with me today? Amen. What can we glean from Moses' doubts? Well, first thing we see here is Moses had a doubt of self, a doubt of self. That's point one there in your notes today. Look with me in Exodus 3.11, the very next passage. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, I want you to visualize this for a moment. Moses sees uh, what he perceives to be the angel of the Lord, Exodus calls it, in this burning bush that's not being consumed. This bush is on fire but not being burned. And as Moses gets closer, I'm sure out of uh, sheer curiosity, God speaks to him through the bush there is a miracle taking place in front of his own eyes. Right there in that moment, that in and of itself. If the text had just closed right there, miracle. God was there with Moses. And yet as he gets closer, God goes on to tell Moses to take his sandals off. Why? He's on sacred ground. Grasp the gravity of the moment. 
taking place here in the text. There's a sacredness and a severity to what Moses is experiencing. God gives Moses this great mission. I am sending you. Moses doubts himself. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And I wonder for a moment, if there had been times in our lives when we have allowed that same doubt of self to creep into what God has called us to do. While God may not have called you to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery, he has called you to something that no one here is without purpose. No one here is without a destiny that God has called you to. I wonder if there are moments in, that we allow that doubt of self, who am I, God, that you would call me to be a light in my workplace? Who am I, God, that you would call me to have a, a healthy family? Who am I, God, that you would call me to, to be a friend to the friendless? Who am I, God, that you would call me to be somebody that's a trailblazer in my family because no one's ever gotten out of this addiction. No one's ever had healthy finances. No one's ever been plugged into a church for any amount of time. No one's ever done this. God, who am I that you would call me to this task? And I wonder if we allow that same doubt of self to creep in and keep us from the tasks that God has for us. It's interesting here, and we're going to be going through a series of these where Moses voices his doubts and then God answers with his declarations. And so to Moses' doubt of self, what we see clearly here is that God makes a declaration of his presence. The very next verse, Exodus 3.12. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You will worship me on this mountain. God reaffirms that he does not leave those that are in relationship with him. Our son is, uh, just turned five a week ago. And he's in karate. If you've met him, uh, he is a bundle of energy, as most five-year-olds, I imagine, are. And, uh, but maybe just me, I feel like my son is extra crazy. Like, there's just, a, there's a little bit of the DNA in there that's just a little crazy. And so he's the one just running around uh, like a chicken with his head cut off. And so we have him in karate because that's an appropriate sport for his level of activity. And so twice a week he is in karate. Well, uh, a few weeks ago we were going to make some dinner and so his karate dojo is in the same plaza as a Publix. And so I'm thinking, great, two birds, one stone, I'm going to drop my son off at the Publix and then I'm going to go and pick up the dinner. And um, there's a little viewing area there. And even beforehand, I told him, hey, buddy, I'm, I'm going to go for like 10 minutes. I'm just going to the store. I'll be right back. All is well. And, you know, he gave me, okay. And so I'm thinking, we're good. I leave to go get the Publix rotisserie. I don't know what it was. I come back, and what do I see? My five-year-old in his full gi, 
like scream crying in the middle of the dojo. The whole session has stopped. He's got multiple senseis there trying to comfort him. Buddy, what's wrong? I immediately go to him. And as he's blubbering through the tears, it comes out that he had looked over and that I wasn't in the viewing area. And he'd gotten scared for a moment. And so then as a parent, like my heart rips up, oh, I'm a terrible dad, you know. But he looked over and his dad wasn't there. He had expected, for whatever reason, maybe he forgot that I had communicated that to him, but he expected the presence of his father, and when he didn't see it, it freaked him out. And it's almost like that's happening here with Moses, where God, in the face of this doubt of self, God needs to almost reassure him as the heavenly father and say, I have my presence on you. My presence is surrounding you. My presence is with you. My presence is in you. And that sometimes when we have these doubts of self, it really is just a moment where we need to say, God, I need you here with me. I know that that you're not gone. I know that you're actually not at Publix picking up chicken. But Lord, I need to feel that your presence is surrounding me and holding me in this moment. Because I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. Lord, the doubts are too much for me. God, I'm not going to be able to do it without your presence in my life. Moses, he voices his doubt, and God is right there, that very next verse, with his declaration of his presence. Church, God has not abandoned you. Though you may be in a storm of life right now, hit by the waves on all sides, trust and know that he has not left you, that he has assured us of his presence. And I would even say that there's value even in the context of our corporate worship this morning. That part of the reason we gather together is to have that corporate manifest presence of God. That yes, he's with us in our schedules and our routines the other six days of the week. But man, when we gather together as we felt during worship and the spirit was moving, he is with us today in a corporate setting when we assemble ourselves as his church, as his body, in a way, in a dynamic that we're not going to always get on our own. And so that's why it's so important for these moments that we come in and we're entering into worship. We're experiencing a a renewed presence of his spirit because it builds up and edifies us. And then those moments of doubts, we hear his voice declaring that I am with you. Do we allow doubt to destroy or deepen our faith. What else can we glean from this passage? Well, we can see, secondly, Moses' doubt of performance. His doubt of performance. Exodus 3.13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? It's like Moses is coming up with every possible excuse in order to weasel his way out of this assignment. Doubt stems from unmet expectations. Let me set up a scenario for you. Wives, if you're here today, I want to set this up. I know that, just know that up front, I have never, ever 
personally been involved in an experience like this. I'm the perfect husband. My wife's not here. <laughs> She's in Calvary Kids. So. You're driving home. You call hubby. Hey, boo. Bay. Honey, cupcake, whatever your pet name for your husband is. You call ahead to your husband to get dinner started. Set the chicken out or whatever it may be. You're expecting your reasonable request as half of this thing called marriage to be honored. And yet, upon your arrival, you find that in fact, dinner has not been started. The chicken has not been set out. That task, that reasonable task that you asked just some help on has not been accomplished. I have never done that to my wife. She tells me what to do and man, I am there. This is an occurrence of an unmet expectation. And it will cause you to reevaluate calling ahead to your hubby the next time. Because what's the point? I'm going to call. I already know he's not going to set the chicken out. I already know he's not going to do this, whatever it may be. And so we have a situation that begins to replicate itself of unmet expectations. We were at the Magic game on Friday. And um, man, for some of you Magic fans, to be honest, I don't know how you've survived this long with those unmet expectations. <laughs> I mean, last year was okay, and maybe this year, but dear God, for years, unmet expectations. I'm joking, of course. But the reality is that at some point in the past, we, we have failed, yeah? And many of us allow the memories of those past failings to keep us from accomplishing what God has for us today. There may well be past unmet expectations that have haunted you and the fear of not being good enough has reared its ugly head. Fears and doubts that you can be a good husband or wife, that you can be a good friend, that you can accomplish this project or take this leap of faith, that you can be a good follower of Christ, that you can be used as a witness for his kingdom, that you can raise your children in a godly manner, that you can make it out of this struggle. The disappointments of yesterday have caused you to doubt today. That's what's happening here in the text. Moses, as a Hebrew man adopted into an Egyptian culture, he's not done anything that's really effective in advocating for his people's freedom. He's not done anything that really has changed the status of his group of people, of his, really, his, his family. Changed their status as slaves. And in fact, we read in Exodus 2 that there's some Hebrew um, folks that actually mock him 
for his position. And so I can only picture that Moses has that in the back of his mind, that he's drawing on his past performance. He's drawing on his past experiences. He's drawing his doubt from these unmet expectations in this monumental task that God has called him to do. God, I actually can't do it. God, I actually cannot succeed in this task. It's not even that I'm unwilling. It's that I can't. My hands on the plow are not good enough. This is the doubt of performance. And if I can be transparent, there's that doubt, even in a position such as mine, and I'm sure some of the other pastoral staff would would agree that there's almost this... um, doubt of performing. Hey, church, let me, look at me juggle so I'm good enough. Is the sermon good enough? Is the programming good enough? Is the worship good enough? These doubts begin to creep in because all of us have doubts, everyone. And yet I'd like to focus on what God responds with. God declares not only his presence, but God declares his identity. In Exodus 3, 14 and 15, the very next passages, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is where God answers Moses' doubt of his performance. God actually takes the spotlight off of Moses and redirects it to himself. I find that interesting. Why would he do that? Because Moses is projecting his doubt based on his own effort. God, what if I'm not good enough to accomplish this task? But Moses isn't operating in his own strength. That the moment Moses takes up the mantle and the task that God has allotted for him, he's now operating in a supernatural strength. He's not operating in his own might or his own effort, but he has now begun to, I guess, gird himself in the effort and the strength that God provides for him. Of course we're going to fail when we operate on our own plans, right? Of course we're going to to stumble when we are operating in our own strength and might. But it's that moment when we say yes to the task, God reiterates his identity and says, I am. I'm all that you need. I'm sufficient for the task. I will provide to you all that you need. So rather than focusing on your deficiencies, focus on my sufficiencies. Rather than focusing on what you can't do, focus on what I can do through you. Rather than focusing on your weakness, allow me to supply your strength. Moses has a, a doubt of performance. Well, of course he does. Because Moses on his own is not good enough. But it's that moment that we take up the mantle and the task that God has called us to, that suddenly... By his very nature, he is good enough. By his very identity, he is good enough. By his very characteristics, as God, he is good enough.
Do we allow doubt to destroy our faith or deepen our faith? What else can we glean from Moses' doubts and God's declarations? Thirdly, Moses exposes his doubt of others. His doubt of others. Exodus 4.1. Moses answered, again, homeboy's coming back. God, how can I weasel my way out of this right now? Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? What if they call me a fraud? Moses, there's no way that God told you to do this. How many times do we base our thoughts and opinions on the perspective of others? Hello? How many times do we allow the influence of others to transform, to change, to shape, and mold our perspective? It's probably a lot. We are social creatures. And even in our faith, there's a social dynamic that no one's called to be the lone wolf Christian, right? But that we're called to be the church, big C church, a global body of Christ. And so there's even a social component to, to our faith today. But at some point, we've got to be able to navigate that line where we allow the voice of God to supersede the voice of others. Where we begin to, almost like a radio, drown out some of the interference from a station that we should not be tuned to. And we begin to tune into the station that is proclaiming the voice of God. Moses here expresses the doubt of others. I know God's calling me to this. But what if no one believes me? I know God's telling me to do this, take this leap of faith. But what if I do and I step out and there's nothing there? I take the leap and I fall, fall on my face. What if I take that risk and, man, things go horribly wrong? It may not be wise to the world, but following God's path for our lives is always wise. So often we allow our doubts to be spurred on by the perspective of others. And I love what God does here in his response to Moses. He doesn't just allow this doubt of others to stand. But God declares his power in response to this. Look with me, Exodus 4, 2 through 5. We're going to read this together. And then the Lord said to them, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. How great is it that for us, God knows our doubts. And if we were, to able, to, if we were able to zoom in on Moses' doubt of others, if you read the text, it seems as if Moses is not necessarily as concerned with the Egyptians' response to his proclamation. 
He's more concerned with his own people's response. And I find that fascinating. The Hebrew people who have this covenant through Abraham (laughs) that God would make Abraham the father of many nations, that his descendants would number the stars, that Moses is more scared of his own people than he is even of the Egyptians in this setting. Christian, there may be a moment when the opposition, the doubt begins to be spurred on from somebody who's well-intentioned, that may be a brother or sister in the Lord. No ill intent, but in that moment, we choose how we respond. Do we follow the directive of the Lord? What we know God has called us to, we seek wise counsel, we pray, all these things, And once we've gone through that process, we come to the conclusion that God is, without a shadow of a doubt, calling me to this task. Do we allow the doubt of others to smother that? Or do we believe in God's declaration of his power here? That there was a sign thousands of years ago to a shepherd in front of a burning bush, and that to us today, We have something even greater in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I can't think of a more fitting sign for us today that we have been empowered by the Spirit of God. The Comforter is given to us as the body of Christ. That he leads us and guides us and directs us. And that despite the doubt that may stem from others, we can still to this day bank on the declaration of his power. That God is not any less powerful, that he's not any less moving through his body today than he was all those years ago. And that, in fact, today we actually have something that, that Moses didn't have in that capacity. How great is it that for us, God knows our doubts. He knows our insecurities. He knows our weaknesses and he does not abandon us in spite of our flaws. God declares his power over our doubts. His power to work in our lives, his power to save us, his power to forgive us, his power to send his spirit to us, to be intimately part of our lives. John Patton was a missionary many years ago to the islands of Vanuatu out in the Pacific. And one night, some hostile natives had surrounded his mission station there on one of the islands, intent on burning the Patton family and, uh, and killing them, destroying the mission. And so during this, Patton and his wife have the gates locked and they are just inside um, praying intently that... Um, um, the terror-filled night as um, their mission is surrounded by these natives, it would pass and that all would be well, that the attackers would leave. When daylight came, they were amazed to see uh, this native tribe that was hostile towards, towards the mission um, packing up and going home. A year later, John Patton had an opportunity to witness to the chief of this particular tribe, and the chief converted. And so... In the midst of the celebration, 
Patton is still remembering, oh, it was just a short while ago that you wanted to kill me. And so he asked this chief, why did you stop? The chief looks at him and says, well, because of all the people defending you, there's no way that we could have won that battle. You had all of those folks surrounding your mission with swords and they outnumbered us. And so we didn't really have a choice. We had to leave. John Patton didn't have anyone with swords out that night. But that in the midst of his doubt of what would happen to them, God, God had supernaturally protected them. And I wonder this morning if there are those of us, we may not literally have people surrounding our homes desiring to attack us, but it feels as if life is attacking us. It feels as if the situations that we find ourselves in this morning are out to get us, to sink us, to drown us, and that we have these, these doubts that are taking over. Maybe you've got a family member who doubts their faith, doubts your faith, and they are just unable to comprehend how a God can allow his love and transformative power to reach us. Maybe there are those of you that have coworkers that simply allow their doubts to drown out any voice that the Spirit would utter to them. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.